Isaiah chapter 9 tonight. Isaiah chapter 9. And um, we've been going through the book of Isaiah, and our key thought so far is judgment, and it's going to continue to be the, uh, our key thought till we get to about chapter 44, and then it's going to switch. It's going to be blessing for the group that are going to return, but judgment is a key issue in it. And the, what we're going to see is, now, the, the book of Isaiah is kind of everything interwoven together. All right. So what we're going to see now in a few minutes, we're going to see those glorious verses where it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Uh, but that's something that we know and we've seen because we have the, the benefit of hindsight. In other words, we can look back from now and we can look back over uh, the 2,000 years and say, yeah, that was Jesus. These people couldn't see that. They, uh, they knew there was a king coming. They knew there was somebody coming uh, who would have power and that might, but they, they, they didn't know the detail that we know. But, but what's happening is you've got the nation of uh, Judah. You've got Israel, the northern kingdom. And then you've got Assyria, sorry, Syria. And then you've got Assyria uh, up here. And it's all happening. Uh, the nation of Judah has been really upset because, you know what, <clears throat> Israel and Syria were coming in to get them, and they, were, they had picked their king, they were ready to go, they had the plan laid and, and all of it. So instead of trusting God, King Ahaz uh, of Judah in Jerusalem, uh, he decides that, that he will trust Tilgath-Pileser of Assyria, and Tilgath-Pileser is going to come in, he's going to devour Syria, he's going to devour Israel, but he's not going to quit there. He's going to go on and devour <clears throat> Jerusalem as well because um, they didn't trust. They trusted in their own power and not in the power of God. And let's just dive into chapter 9. We'll have a word of prayer first and then we'll dive in and um, we'll see some exciting things here. Father, would you bless us now, Lord? We, we need your hand and we need you to open the scripture to us and to help us. And oh, Lord, <clears throat> we do thank you for it. Thank you for all that you've given us and for all that we can know. And Lord, for all that we can see of you in these pages, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so um, Isaiah chapter 9. Now, it would be good if you could find a Bible and find out the book of Isaiah. Uh, that's going to be a help to you as we look through it because uh, it will help you to understand it, maybe even to write some notes in that are going to help you uh, in the future. But Isaiah chapter 9, right? Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in the vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. Now, what's he talking about there? He's talking about that strip of land, that Samaria, Nazareth, Galilee, all that land up there, that's kind of far off from the center. The center of spiritual life for Israel has always been where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the center. It all, all happens around Jerusalem. Well, these places are far from there, right? Now, not far in our terms. You know, you can jump in your car and, and do it. But for these people, you're two, three days walk away uh, from Jerusalem, so it's far away. Now, they're far away from the center of power, so what, they, what they're in is they're, they're in the pathway of every marauding army that comes down. So they get it. Anytime there's trouble going, uh, the armies mar march down, uh, they catch them. Even when the armies aren't necessarily seeking to do damage to Israel or Judah, you know what, they're going for Egypt, they've got to go down that way anyway. So these, these people are getting it. They get it all the time. Uh, they have trouble all the time. And um, they are afflicted. 
Right? They have difficulties. They are afflicted. Right? And then it says in verse 2, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Now, what's he talking about there? Well, where did Jesus live most of his life? Right in this portion of land. And this portion of land that we're talking about here is really the end of the earth for them. It's kind of like Cork for us. Anybody from Cork here, no? Nobody from Cork. It's kind of like Cork for us. Just the end of the world. Uh, it's far away from the center of everything. And um, <clears throat> these people are, uh, you, you know, live in the ends of the earth. And in fact, remember what Andrew said <clears throat> when uh, they told him to come and see Jesus? He said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, listen, it's rubbish land. It's, you know, it's, there's nothing good going on there. I mean, can any good thing come out of it? Well, something good did come out of it, didn't it? And these people have seen a great light, and the great light is Jesus. Right, they're going to see it now. But is Isaiah talking about now, or is he talking about the future? He's talking about the future. And that's the problem for us with Isaiah. You really have to kind of uh, study the book of Isaiah uh, and, and, and inform yourself with what's going on. And you're, you're able then to see what's happening now and what's happening in the future. The affliction part of it's happening now, but there's going to be a day when it's going to see great light. There's going to see a day. We know that day because we know that that's where Jesus uh, walked and lived. So they saw a great light. <clears throat> All right, so verse 3. Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. Uh, they joy before thee according to the joy and harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide, divide the spoil. But thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but there shall be with burning and with fuel of fire. Right? And he's saying, listen, it's bad. But look what he says. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon the kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now let's unpack those verses there, famous verses. Um, <clears throat> You know, they have been sung many times. Great verses there. He says, first of all, for unto us a child is born. Well, a child was going to be born. And when the child was born, the child was a baby, and the child looked helpless. I'm sure Jesus looked as cute as any other baby. But he looked helpless. Babies are helpless. That's really one of the things that's so cute about them. If you look at Bethany's little Jasper in there, I mean, he can do nothing for himself. If you put him down on the table, he couldn't even roll off the table. He'd stay on the table. Uh, he can't find food for himself. He can't do anything. He's totally helpless. Right, so you have this wonderful picture in Jesus of this totally helpless baby, a child that is born. But look what it says then next. Uh, a son is given. Not only is a child, uh, is he a child that's been born, but he's a son that's been given. So what you have is the picture of this helpless babe and you have God in the same little body. Fully God. Holding the world in place. Keeping everything going while he was in the manger. This is 
fully God. He didn't resign his position as God and come down and become a baby. No, uh, he, he was born a child. He was born a baby. But, <clears throat> but the reality is that alongside the baby, the reality was he was fully God. And he was fully in charge. And he says, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Now, <clears throat> what government? You know the history. You know the New Testament. Did Jesus rule? He didn't, did he? We never got around to that. Remember Palm Sunday when he comes into Jerusalem? What did they do? They call him Hosanna. And, you know, they call him the king. They, they, they throw their coats and they throw uh, the, the um, palm fronds in front of him and they make a pathway for him because he, he comes in on a, on a donkey, which was predicted too, and, you know, he was a king. But somehow he never got to the throne, did he? Not yet. But he will. Something happened. They rejected him as their king. The Romans couldn't have done it, but they rejected him as their king. And because they rejected him as, as their king, he took a, a, a diversion and he went to the cross. But you know what? The prophecy is still true. He is a king. He will be king. Had they accepted him, they had their king, but they rejected him because he wasn't the kind of king they wanted. And his name shall be called Wonderful. Well, he was that, wasn't he? There was never a person that walked the earth like the Lord Jesus Christ. There was never such power seen. There was never such beauty seen in a person. There was never such care and love. There was never such power to heal. There was never such hope. Oh, he was wonderful, all right. His name shall be Wonderful Counselor. And, and don't you know him as Counselor? I hope that you do. Don't, don't you know in those times when your heart is overflowing and you don't know what to do or where to go and you come to him and you lay it all out to him and it's like he takes it and he says to you, don't worry about it, child. It's okay. I've got it and I've got you. It's going to be okay. Here's what we're going to do. And he shows you what's going to happen. And he shows you how he's going to work it out. Oh, he's a counselor, all right. He, he's the counselor uh, above all counselors. The mighty God. The baby was the mighty God. Is the mighty God. He didn't die. He is the mighty God. Uh, the everlasting Father. He is the everlasting Father. He is the Prince of Peace. You know what? He's going to bring peace. The song we sung there, uh, risen with healing in his wings. Do you know there's peace in this king? This is a king that's going to bring peace. I don't know whether you've watched the news uh, recently, but you know what's happening in Israel again? There's bombs flying in Israel. There's, there's rockets flying. We're kind of far away from it, so we don't notice it all that much. But you know what? It's always, there's always bombs flying over there. You know, Jerusalem, um, uh, the city of peace, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, is probably one of the places in the world that knows less peace than anywhere else. It's been destroyed and rebuilt over and over again. It's been taken by one group after another, by one nation after another. It's been fought over more than any plot of land on the planet. But Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's going to bring peace. 
to Jerusalem. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Do do you know that that the, the human race thrives in times of peace? Now, we look back at the Second World War. 12 million people died. Right? What do you think that did to the nations? It set them back. A whole generation, effectively, were destroyed. It set the nations back. And you know what? We overcame and we begin to move ahead again, but it sets us back. You know, in times of peace, things are good. One of the things the Romans did was uh, the Romans brought the, the Pax Romana, the, the Roman peace. Now, they enforced it with an iron rule on the whole world. But everybody recognized there were tremendous benefits involved in this peace that the Romans brought. I mean, you could go about your business for the most part, and you could expect Roman law to deal with the situation if it needed to be dealt with. There was, there was a peace. And so during the, during the, 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 the 600 years or whatever of, of the Roman Empire, you have a peace uh, that goes forward and, and that the, uh, the whole world is touched by. But it's not a peace like when Jesus comes. He's going to bring peace to the world like it's never seen before. In fact, before the end, he's going to bring a thousand years of peace to the world. He will rule from Jerusalem and he will rule with an iron fist and he will bring peace, he will force peace upon the world. And you know what? The world will thrive. The nations will thrive under that peace. Because he is the king. Look what it says. Uh, And to establish it, sorry, um, there should be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom. It's going to be an everlasting kingdom. That was promised to David, by the way. A son to sit on on, on the throne forever. And that son is Jesus. But there's going to be no end to his kingdom. Um, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now, it's important that you catch that. You see, what we've got in our world right now is we've got a whole lot of people that want peace. And they're all trying to get peace, and they, are, they all want peace, and they're, and they're, and, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for it. Um, you know, if, if an American president could finally work out peace for Israel and Palestine, I mean, that would be a feather in his cap. That would probably ensure him uh, re-election. You know, everybody wants peace. Everybody wants to uh, sort out, but they're not able. You know, England's got an election going on right now, and they, they'll elect a new, <clears throat> a new leader, and their new leader will be... Uh, the, the leader, but you know, he won't be able to bring peace. He won't be able to stop the terror attacks, and he won't be able to stop people from fighting, and he won't be able to stop people from killing each other. Oh, he'll make grandiose promises to get the position, but you know what? He won't be able to, because rulers can't do that. Rulers are not able to do that. But there's coming one that will, and it's going to be the zeal of the Lord of hosts performing. God says, it's going to happen because I'm going to do it. And while no man can do it, God can do it. And Jesus is the one, the child that was born, the son that is given. He just hasn't taken up his position yet. He just hasn't taken up his position because his people rejected him, but he will take up his position and he will rule and he will rule well and the world will enjoy peace like it's never enjoyed before. But you know what? Today, 
you and I in our hearts can enjoy his peace. Today, you and I in our hearts can actually, because you and I have, the, have the, the, the potential, the ability to make him Lord of our hearts, King of our hearts, to enthrone him in our hearts and to give him control and to say, Lord, listen, the world won't be controlled by you, but Lord, control my heart. Lead me, guide me. I'll do what you want me to do. And you know, when you do that, when you, you have peace in your heart, do you know why you don't have peace? You don't have peace because he's not in control in your heart. You're fighting with him. You're reckoning, listen, I know, I, I know you've got a plan for my life, but I've got a different plan. And you're fighting with him. But when you, when you surrender, when you say, Lord, I'm going to make you king, I'm going to put you in charge, Lord, whatever your will is, that's what I want. Whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. And you make him king in your heart. You know what? All the stress and all the pressure just slips away. You make him king in your heart. And you know peace. You know peace in your life. <clears throat> all right, now, now he's going to switch on us then again. Uh, <clears throat> and he's going to switch to, to his current time, to I say his current time, right? And he says, The Lord sent a word into Jacob, and he hath lighted upon Israel, and all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria, that say in the pride and stoutness of their heart, The bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Now, <clears throat> what's happened here? Uh, there's been another attack, and Assyria's come down. It's devoured Syria. Uh, it's devoured Israel, that's the northern kingdom, and Samaria. And everything's in a wreck and a ruin, and they're destroyed. But you know what they say? They say, don't worry, we'll build better. There were stones, but now we're going to build with hewn stones. We, we used to have um, <clears throat> sycamores, but now we're going to put in place cedars. Isn't that what man does? When it all falls apart, he says, well, we're just going to do it better. We're just going to fix it up and do it better. Do you know what? God's not in it. You can't do it better. By the way, an interesting uh, <clears throat> thought on this line here. In 9-11-01, uh, America was bombed uh, by the Al-Qaeda group. <clears throat> and the, the, the Twin Towers came down and the Third Tower came down as well. And one of their <clears throat> representatives got up in the house on the uh, following day. And he... Uh, gave a fiery speech, and he included this verse, not knowing that it's a judgment. It's not actually spoken. I'm sure the scriptwriter got it in the neck for that, because that, that, that really caused a problem for them. And by, you, you can see it, by the way. You can see his speech uh, on YouTube. Tom Daschle is his name. But the bricks are fallen down, but we will build with hewn stones. The sycamores are cut down, but we will change them into cedars. Only if you have the favor of the Lord. If you don't, it won't happen. You can't do it. Israel didn't. Israel couldn't. And Israel was destroyed and stays destroyed. That part of Israel. It's gone. You know, those ten tribes went missing back at this time, and they've never been found again. Because you and I can't take God's judgment in our lives and just say, well, don't worry about it. I'm going to build it stronger. I'm going to make it. No, that's not possible. 
No amount of pride is going to do that for us. Look at verse 11 says, Therefore the Lord shall set up the adversaries of resin against them and join his enemies together, the Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Right? Now these next verses that we're going to look at uh, are called the poem of the stretched out hand, right? <clears throat> And here's the picture I see. Uh, it comes up, that's the chorus uh, of this song. His hand is stretched out still. His anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And, 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 and here's what I see God doing. God's hand is stretched out to this people, and he's saying, now listen. I'm dealing with you in judgment, but that's not what I want. I want to deal with you in love and in mercy. But, but, but if you don't turn to me, it's not going to be love and mercy. His, his hand is stretched out to them. He's angry over their sin, but his hand is stretched out to them. Now, let me ask you, what do you think they did? What do you think they're going to do? They're not going to turn to him. They're not going to turn to him. They're going to rebuild their walls. They're going to do it. They're going to make it happen. They are going to ignore him. <clears throat> um, they are going to... Ahaz, uh, in Judah, he, he, he goes to visit Tilgath-Pileser, and he's so enamored with Tilgath-Pileser and the temples uh, through his pagan idols that he, he sends back word, hey, listen, I want you to build this in the temple, and, and he destroys the, the, the work that God had done as far as the temple is concerned. They don't turn back to God. Do you know this... <clears throat> That God is merciful. He is merciful to the last. If you look at the book of Judges, God gets so fed up with the nation of Israel in the book of Judges. He's told them that if they left, if they left the inhabitants in the land, that they would destroy them. He's told them that over and over again. And then... Uh, uh, so, so what happens is they, 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 they do what he told them not to do. They get involved with the people. And so God judges them. And they cry out to him. So God says, okay. And he sends a deliverer. He sends a judge to come in and deliver them from their enemies. And then they do it all over again. And so the enemies come in and take over and make life difficult for them. And they cry out to God. And God sends a deliverer in. And you know, God gets so fed up. He says, that's it. I'm done with you. Don't bother crying out to me. Don't, I'm fed up with you. I'm finished with you. Don't bother crying out to me. I'm, I'm not going to answer you. So what do they do? They sin. The enemies come in again. They cry out to God. What does God do? God sends a deliverer. Folks, <clears throat> I mean, I want to be very, very careful how I say this, but, but it's almost like God is helpless when we repent. It's almost like he can't stop himself from responding to it. Let me show you. Let me show you something from um, the life of Ahab. First Kings twenty-one. First Kings. Turn to First Kings twenty-one. We're coming back to Isaiah, so stay there. But First Kings twenty-one. Now, what do you know about Ahab? When I say the name of Ahab, what do you know about him? Good man or a bad man? He's bad as bad can be, isn't he? Oh, and um, who's he married to? He's married to Jezebel. They are bad, bad, bad. Right. Um, <clears throat> 1 Kings 21, and we are looking at verse 25. Right? So Ahab is just wicked as wicked can be. 
and he's added to all his wickedness uh, the incident with Nahab. And you'll remember the story with Nahab. Uh, Ahab went out and he met with Nahab, and Nahab had a, a vineyard that... that um, <clears throat> Ahab wanted to buy off me. He said, listen, give it to me and I'll give you the value of it and money if you like. I'll give you a better vineyard for it. It's just near my house and I want to make it for, I want to make it for, you know, a garden of herbs. And Naboth, who was by all accounts a godly man, said, I can't. I can't give you uh, the, that which was given to me uh, by my family. It's just not right for me to do. I can't do it. So what does Ahab do? Well, Ahab goes home and he pouts. And he lies in his bed and he turns his face to the wall and Jezebel comes in. And she sees Ahab lying there with his face to the wall and she says, oh, baby, what's wrong with you? <clears throat> and he says, well, I'll tell you, that, that stinking rotten Naboth, he, he won't give me his vineyard. So you know what he does? What she does? She says, don't worry about it. You're not the king. What are you doing lying on your face? Listen, get up. Get yourself something to eat. Uh, I'll deal with Naboth for you. So she does. She sends a letter to the people of Naboth's village and she says, now listen, I want you to find him guilty and I want him gone. And so everybody's terrified of Jezebel. So that's exactly what they do. They trump up charges against him. They, <clears throat> they um, uh, get two sons of Belial to come and speak against him and they take, take Naboth out and they stone him. <laughs> Good man, did nothing wrong, just wouldn't sell his piece of land to the king. So she goes, she goes home and she says, Ahab, got it for you. Go down and take it. Now, Jezebel's a wicked, wicked, idolatrous woman and she has no understanding of God, whatever. But what do you think God was doing when all that was happening? Do you think God missed it? Do you think God looked down at that situation and said, uh, <clears throat> well, what can I do about it? But do you think God was taking it all on board? God was taking it all on board. Right now, look at verse 25. <clears throat> this is, we take up the story where uh, Ahab has come down to take the, 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 the vineyard, and he's in his new vineyard, and he's all happy. Right? He was having a big pouting session, but he's all happy now. Right? <clears throat> verse 25. But there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. Right? So God's telling you that he was the most wicked man. I should tell you this, that God has pronounced judgment on him. Uh, Elijah by this time has come in <laughs> and said about Ahab that, you know, that, that, that he is a wicked man and um, he has uh, pronounced judgment on him that he's going to be destroyed, that is, uh, he's going to be eaten by dogs. Oh, man, it's, it's bad. Right? That's not the point of the story I want you to see tonight, right? There was none like him to do wickedness, and Jezebel stirred him up to do it. Um, verse 26, And he did very abominably in following idols according to all the things, as did the Amorites, until the, uh, until the Lord cast them out before the children of Israel. And it came to pass, when Ahab heard those words, look what he did. He rent his clothes, and he put sackcloth upon his flesh, and he fasted, and he lay in sackcloth and went softly. Now, what would you do if you were God? I know what I'd do. I'd say, too late, buddy. You've lived wickedly. You've done everything wrong. And I'm not listening to your crocodile tears. Forget you. I mean, because this guy had done it all. What did you see God's response to him? And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, 
Seest thou how Ahab humbleth himself before me? Because he humbleth himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son days will I bring the evil upon his house. What does God say? God says, see, did, did, Elijah, did you see Ahab? He's going to sack off the ashes, and he's, and he's walking softly, and he's humbling himself. He's repentant. Isn't that amazing? I'm not going to bring the evil upon him in his day. I'll bring it on him in his son's day. Here's the thing. God can't help responding to repentance. He'll always respond to repentance. But what amazes me about us is we're so slow to repentance. And, we, and you see it again and again in the Bible. You see it in the nation of Israel. You see it in the, in, in the book of Revelation. God, God, is, God can't help himself but respond to repentance, but man doesn't respond. So what does God do? His arm is stretched out. He's saying, listen, repent. Turn it around. Come on, listen, listen get things right with me. Remember we started off in the, in the beginning of the book, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And he says, come, deal with it. Let's, let's get it sorted. Let's remove it. And they say, no. Now what do you think God's going to do? They don't want to get it right. They don't want to repent. What do you think God's going to do? His hand is stretched out in judgment. He's going to continue to judge. He's going to make it harder and harder and harder till they're destroyed and they're gone off the land completely. Now, know this. Understand this about God. That, that, that God is merciful and responds to repentance. And yet when his judgment falls, he has no fear and he doesn't change it. He doesn't avert it. There has to be repentance involved in God stopping his judgment. There has to be. Isn't that the story of the Bible? Remember David? We talked about David. David, you know, David sinned against God. He numbered Israel. Joab said to him, don't do it. And Joab wasn't a particularly spiritual guy, but he said, listen, don't do it, David. It's going to offend God, but David did it anyway. And so God said, okay, David, you, you choose. And David said, okay, I'll fall into the hands of the Lord. And, 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 and God sent a plague on the land, 70,000 people died, and David said, oh, Lord, stop it. Listen, it's my fault. Listen, what have these sheep done? <laughs> Afflict me on my house. And the angel stopped at the threshing floor of Aruna. And God said, okay, make a sacrifice there, David. And so David did. He bought the threshing floor. He made a sacrifice. And God stopped the judgment. There has to be repentance involved in God stopping the judgment. Do you know that everybody in this world is born under judgment? Everybody in this world. Everybody in this world is born <clears throat> a sinner. Anybody here honestly say to me that they've never sinned, they've never done anything wrong? Anybody here, you know, daft enough to say that? Daft enough to stand before God and say, there's nothing wrong with me? Jesus did, by the way. Jesus said when the Pharisees went after him, he said, which of you convinced of me of sin? Point out my sin. You and I wouldn't dare do that, would we? Because if they got forensic enough and they got deep enough, it wouldn't take them long to find something wrong with us. But Jesus was up for it. But you know, <clears throat> we're all born sinners. Because we're born sinners, we're born under judgment. <clears throat> and you know what we need? We need mercy. And you know how you get mercy? You repent. Now what does it mean to repent? It means to say, 
God, I was wrong. You're right. Please forgive me. Isn't that hard for us? Oh, doesn't that go against your pride? I was wrong. You're right. Please forgive me. And by the way, you don't get off with doing it once. Because it doesn't end there. Just because you're saved doesn't make you perfect. And you're going to have to come to God. And you're going to have to say, God, I was wrong. You were right. Please forgive me. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful and just. We're not, but He is. And when we confess our sins, when we come to the place where we say, God, I got it wrong. Lord, what I did was wrong. There's, there's no excusing it. There's no justifying it. Lord, I got it wrong. And we come to him and we repent. He forgives. That's who he is. That's what he does. But you know, when you harden your heart, and you decide, well, God's giving me a hard time and it's not fair and I've had a difficult time and, and God's done this and God's done that and God's done the other and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my own thing and go my own way. You know what you're saying? Judge me, please. Now, you don't want to say that to God. Now, you, you, you do not want to say that to God. You do not want to stand before God and say, judge me. Because he has all the power in the world and all the patience, and he knows you, and he knows how to bring you to repentance, and he can put the pressure on like you can't believe, and he can keep it on and bring you to that place of repentance. You don't dare tempt God. And yet people do. We will build up our walls stronger. We'll get better trees. We will make our plans work. Have you said that yourself? You haven't dealt with the problem? You haven't come to him and said, Lord, I was wrong. Because you're never going to build it up. They never did. They thought they would, but they never did. They never built it all up again. Because you can't if God's against it. It's not possible. Oh, you know what? If you want to build a building, you have to dig down and put down foundations. Do you know the spiritual foundation you need? Repentance. That's where you dig out the rot and the rubbish and you clear it out. And then by God's grace and with God's hand, you can start building. But there's no building without repentance. There's no building without coming to the place where you deal with it. Listen, God loves you. He gave his son to die for you. He'd do anything for you. Is <clears throat> not stretching it too far. But he won't ignore sin. And when you clench your fist and say, I won't repent, all you can expect from this great God is judgment. Let's quickly go on through the rest of our passage here in <clears throat> Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9 again. Look at verse 13. For, this, for the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. Therefore the Lord will cut off from Israel head and tail, branch and brush in one day. The ancient and the honorable, he is the head, and the prophet that teacheth lies, he is the tail. For the leaders of this people cause them to err, and they that are led of them are destroyed. Therefore the Lord shall have no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on their fatherless and widows, for everyone is an hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. 
For wickedness burneth as the fire, it shall devour the briars and the thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire, and no man shall spare his brother. And he that he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Do you know, Israel is a blessed land. It has, it has nurture for more food than the people that live in it can eat today. It always did. It was the land of milk and honey. It was the land of abundance. It was the land of blessing. But what's God saying? God is saying they'll be snatching for a bit of food. They'll be hungry. They'll, they'll be gnawing on their own arms. They're so hungry. Why? Because his arm is stretched out. But they won't turn to him. He's saying, come to me. Repent. Deal with it. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. But they're saying, no. No, we won't. We'll go our own way and we'll do our own thing. And what keeps happening? The, the, the hammer of judgment keeps falling on this people. Why? Because they won't turn. They won't say sorry. They won't get right with God. They keep on going their own way. It's the daftest thing I can imagine. I really can't think of a thing more stupid than refusing to come to God and deal with your sin and ask Him to forgive it. Do you really want to face judgment? Or do you want favor? Why would you not get favor? Repent when you get it wrong and turn to him. Four more verses and we're done. Woe unto them that decree unrighteousness, decrees, sorry, verse 21. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against you. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And Manasseh is going to be against Ephraim, and Ephraim's going to be against Judah, and they're all going to be fighting together. And God is saying, look, give it up. Turn to me, I'll sort it all out. You see, God's plan for this little land was always that it would be a prosperous, wealthy, blessed people. But you know what? He knew they were going to get it wrong. But when they got it wrong, they were supposed to turn to him, but they refused. And his hand is stretched out to them, but they're saying, no, 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 we'll sort it out ourselves. We don't need you. We're going to, we're going to do it ourselves. Chapter 10, verse 1. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and that right grievousness uh, which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment and to take away the right from the poor of my people <coughs> that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? To whom will ye flee for help and where will ye leave your glory? Good question. To whom are you going to flee for help? If you refuse in your heart to get it right with God and to tell God you're wrong and ask him to fix it and to heal you and to take away the sin, if you refuse to do that, who are you going to run to help? Where is there someone that's going to help you if you reject the help of God? Well, King Ahaz would say, wouldn't he? He would say, well, tell God the lesser, my mate, up in Assyria. Guy's on, on the rise. He's got power. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's a good buddy to have in your stables. 
He'll take care of me. He'll look after me. What did he do? He destroyed him. Listen, when you turn against God, who are you going to run to? You need him. Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners. They shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now he's going to switch and he's going to start dealing with the Syrian. We'll deal with that next week, right? <clears throat> because God's able to do that. He's able to take one people, use them to deal with another people, and then he goes back and he deals with that people. But, but here's the point. Here's the whole point. Let's put it all in a nutshell, right? What do you want? Do you want the wonderful counselor? Do you want the Prince of Peace in your life? Do you want to yield yourself to him and let him have his way in your life? Well, you're going to get it wrong. But you know what? Getting it wrong is not the end of it. Because you can repent. You can get it right. And when you repent, you can expect mercy from God. He's abundant in mercy. Can't help himself. It flows from him. Right? Now, so in a sense, very real sense, you and I are choosing which relationship with God we're going to have. Either we're going to meet him in judgment or we're going to meet him in mercy. And it all depends on your heart because his hand is stretched out to you. He says, will you get saved? Will you trust me? Will you recognize your sins and repent of them and turn to me? And I will save you. And then when you get it wrong and you go your own way, his hand has reached out to you and he says to you, will you deal with the sin? Will you confess it and make it right so that I can show you mercy? And you make the choice. His hand is stretched out. Do you want it to be the hand of mercy that lifts you up or the hand of judgment? Which do you want? If you're not daft, you're going to say, I want the hand of mercy. But you know what? These people were daft. And I wouldn't doubt that there are daft people in this room too. I wouldn't doubt that they're in this room. There are people who will say, okay, not giving in, not letting him have his way. Going to go my own way and do my own thing. Nobody's going to make me. Well, you know what? You're actually right. Nobody can make you. But you know what? The cost, the havoc, the chaos in your life, now and eternally, is unthinkable. You see, God's all mercy to the repentant. But he's all ruthless judgment to the unrepentant. It's never worth it. Don't go against him. Bow before him. Make him Lord of your heart. Israel rejected him. Okay, their cost. You don't have to. You can make him the Lord of your heart tonight. You can enjoy his peace. You can enjoy his wonderful counsel. You can enjoy all that he has for you today. You'll just make him Lord of your heart. Listen, what is worth missing that for? Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, would you bless us now? Oh Lord, there's a moment of decision here for some people tonight. Or for that one that's not saved. May 
right now be the moment when they say, yes, Lord, I want to be saved. Help me, Lord. Would you save me? And Lord, for that one that's saved, but standing against you in their heart and going their own way, and, and they know it, oh, blessed Spirit of the living God, would you just convince them? Would you show them how dangerous that is? And oh, would you bring them into that sweet place, Lord, where they give in to you? Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Lord, we're not worthy of it, but Lord, you love us still. And we thank you for mercy. Now, Lord, would you bless us tonight in Jesus' name? Amen.